diabetic cheese. Waiting for Walt to get annoyed enough that I have to go. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to episode one. 116 of the Light Shed Podcast. Richard Greenfield, Walter Pisick, Brandon Ross, coming at you once again. I hope you guys all had a fun week, Rich and Walt, or both of you. I don't think. What fun was the highlight of your week, me. Rich? Um, the highlight of my week was the. Um, <laughs> Flight, the flight attendant on my American flight telling people that they should not vape, that they should not buckle their seatbelts until everyone is seated on the plane. Like literally just explaining to us sort of etiquette 101 for being on. It was almost like airplane for dummies. It was a very weird. So the, hi flight. So the highlight of your week was not our entire industry blowing up. Yeah, I don't think that I, I don't think that would be the highlight would be to have although Netflix did not blow up but everything else seems to be in the process of so Walt, what was the highlight of your week this week I enjoyed a lot of very nice thunderstorms I'm a really yeah, fan I'm a, I'm a fan of weather climate <laughs> extreme you, extreme weather fan of climate no, change all types of weather rich I enjoy it all, all. Types of <laughs> you know I used to not like you know, drizzly cold days, but now I think I spend so much time in London, it just evokes that that those memories of London and I enjoy it. So I, I appreciate all types of weather. Do you want to know so a, makes... a true fact? Sure. I was gonna say not really. <laughs> when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I wanted to be a weatherman. Oh Jesus. <laughs> I'm serious. Speaking of, speaking of weathermen, it was nice to see Bob Iger crapping all over Bob Chapik this week for like no reason. Oh, we um, know who's the weatherman in that example. Bob Iger was a weatherman on ABC. That's where he started his career. Oh, I mean, that kind of, I can see that. That makes sense. Richard, I remember when he got the, what? Are you sitting backwards in your chair? Backwards. I mean, what is under that? No, that's his shirt. That's the shirt logo. Really? It's like yeah. sticky. No, no, oh, no, no. That's the microphone thing. Uh, this, is really, this, is, this is this is fascinating content we're, we're delivering <laughs> okay. right now. Why don't we, this is actually going to be a fascinating week. So why don't we head right to the first slide? Thank God. Thank Tee God. us up, Brandon. This is all you. It was a very dramatic intro and then not much drama coming out of it. So oh, no. let's create drama for our audience. This is from Kara, or sorry, Kaya Uriev. That's why I'm, I'm going to guess it's Kaya. That'll be my guess. Kaya is how you would pronounce that. Kaya? It's a guess. I think that's what I would think. Okay. Kaya Uriev. Rich.RichLightShed asks, 
how much competition Snap is facing from TikTok versus MetaGoogle. Snap CFO Derek Anderson says the company is facing, quote, a number of large and sophisticated, unquote, competitors and competition has only intensified. Then the second comes from Sarah Fryer. By the way, you know Rich chose these tweets because they're both blowing smoke up his ass. So here's the second one, which is best cue on the Snap earnings call from at Rich Lightshed about competition with TikTok, friend or foe. We definitely consider them a friend, Evan Spiegel says. TikTok is a developer partner and uses the Snap kit, he says. That tweet, the second one from Sarah Fryer, was from October 22nd, 2019. So here you have the presentation of a how it started and where it's going. And how it started seemed a little more optimistic than how it's going. Rich. I think like well, I think it's bigger than that. Well, well, no, because I think what, what you're missing in that, what I think is the most interesting part of that back and forth of is TikTok a threat or not, is that Evan took the 2019 question yeah. right off the bat. Whereas yesterday we didn't even know i mean brandon you were like you didn't think evan i asked you was evan spiegel even on the call you didn't think he was no evan obviously tweeted at us that he was on the call but the question is when you ask someone is tiktok google or meta hurting you competitively why would that be a question that the cfo would take why is that not seems like the ceo founder like that would be such an obvious question for him like he did in 2019 why did he not opine on that and it just how about this rich there were questions on the call, at least one, so maybe not questions, where the person asking the question said, Evan, like directing the question directly to him. Evan was silent on the call at a time when his company's stock is down, what, 80 plus percent this year? I don't even know what it is at this point. 30 today, but I mean, it's gone 90 to 10. Let's just say 90 to 10 has been the, the gap. Okay. so. His stock is down that significantly. You have investors who are running for the hills and want an answer from a CEO. And for some reason, a CFO is there. Honestly, my initial reaction as the call went on was, is something going on? Is Evan leaving, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, you know, that's not the case. No, and he's got a new contract. I mean, he just gave up basically. He's not getting paid. Right. He get a new contract without getting paid effectively. Like, so he's, he's clearly committed. It just was, it was just weird. It, it almost, it just felt weird given how much pressure the company is under. And look, Zuckerberg, you got to give Zuckerberg props, right? He came out with two quarters ago and very clearly said, TikTok is clocking us, right? Like yeah. it is really hurting us. And I think one by one, you're seeing how TikTok is eating in not time spent because the, the 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 snap actually user metrics were good. No one's stopping using Snapchat, yeah. but with the ad pie that is stat, you know, as advertising stagnates as an industry, TikTok is taking a very large share and it's making it very very difficult for everybody else. And I think that's the that's the big takeaway for it. Yeah. What appears to be from earnings. I mean, even Twitter today was terrible, right? I mean, we Listen, bad even tweet. even t- Rich, even Twitter is terrible. Are you kidding me? But let's just what I what I meant by that is Twitter's okay fine okay let's stick on Snap for a little while. 
um, overall assessment here is a lot of naivete out of Evan for over the past year, at least. One on ATT, IDFA, whatever you want to call it these days. Yep. He thought that it wasn't going to be much of a problem. He had trust um, in SK Ad Network that there would be a good enough solution out of that. Didn't pan out. On, on um, TikTok, continuously said that they weren't really facing competition there. It wasn't a big deal for them. Now they're calling out that and other sophisticated competitors. I assume that that is increased competition coming out of the company formerly known as Facebook um, through the Reels product and other changes that um, they've been making that we will get into uh, later on. And then just like overall assessment on the economy, the third of the three-headed headwind monster that they're facing, just naive on the difficulties that was presenting as well, even going back to May when they lowered guidance. <clears throat> well, let's actually, let that, I think we should really bring up the next slide. And I think Walt should read it because I think the economy is what it, well, we should sort no, of focus I, on. Let's, let's stick with SNAP, okay? Because you got SNAP right now. Um, we need to figure out as a team, is this an investable asset? at this time, given the kind of the trajectory of revenue, they're going to barely grow revenue in Q3. We don't know what the outlook is for next year. They're probably going to do what? A couple of hundred million in EBITDA next year, maybe a couple hundred million more than that the year after that with stagnant top line growth. What's this asset worth at this point? Oh, wait, you're, you're saying stagnant top line growth for the next two years? I mean, that's, I mean, look, maybe that's what happens with the economy, but that's a that's a very bearish view of the next two years. Definitely for the next year. Maybe. I mean, we'll see. I mean, you're making a call on what 2023 advertising is going to look like. It's going to be terrible. Well, that's, I mean, maybe. That's fair. I might be getting over my skis on that. But look look at what they're I think there's still a right lot of now. investors. Look at what they're doing in revenue and look at what they're doing in EBITDA. What kind of multiple are you willing to give this on EBITDA? Look, I think the the harder part right now is this business was growing 30% plus two quarters ago and 50, 60% plus three quarters ago. Like the, the pace of deceleration without a lot of great explanations yeah. is still what's confusing. They really haven't given a great explanation of what is real, how much of this is IDFA, how much, like we don't really understand why I, it's as bad. I, I don't think they know either though, right? Well, that and that's why investors but, are selling, you, right? When no, you're no, no, facing no. A, a three-headed monster, even if if one of them eases a little, or you do something, you know, to to help one of those, you still are facing other ones. And and I, I don't really know how you solve all the problems at once. Do you? Are there product changes that need to happen? You you wouldn't think so because they continue to grow users even in the U.S. It's not it's not a user problem. I mean, users in the U.S. were four percent. Right. Like it's not a user problem. Like it's I don't I, I look. I the st- investors are selling because they don't understand, and I don't think we understand right now. Well, there's that's no the problem. Well, there's no growth, and the valuation isn't grounded in anything. 
Look, I want to reserve the question. I want to reserve the question on multiple and the future until we see what Meta puts up on Wednesday, because I think that will give us a much better understanding of how much of this is macro, how much of this is TikTok. I think we'll get a better sense. But but will you? Because Meta is facing the exact same uh, macro headwinds. Now, they are ahead of Snap in dealing with them because they were ahead in their ATT solutions. I also think Dave and the team over there were, were, have been much more open about talking about some of these issues. And so I think we'll get a better sense of where the pressure is really coming from. But again, we may not. And that may be even more assessment to the sector. Them, right? They Correct. don't exactly know. Let's see if, this, do they give guidance for Q3? Well, let's, I think we just need to see a few more prints before we really d- figure out what's going on. But okay, I want so to shift to the macro. I want to shift on whether we want to own this stock. I think we have we need a few more data points next week to really understand what the upside could be or the downside could be. Okay. I think it's what still a 15 17 billion dollar company now. It is. Next. Walt. <laughs> um what are you laughing about, Walt? Not a thing. Marty Swant tweeted uh, despite layoffs across a range of marketing and tech companies, major agency holding companies are putting out some pretty optimistic forecasts for the second half of 22. Uh, what is it? How do you pronounce that? Publicis? Yeah. Publicis. Oh, I got it. Wow. Raised its guidance this morning, just days after Omnicom. Dentsu also still predicting ad growth. Well, so despite a lot of the fall off in digital advertising, um, that we're seeing from, and if it's TV advertising hitting a wall. Yeah, right. Where is this growth coming from, Rich? We know we know connected TV advertising has hit a wall because we have multiple data points on that from our our industry checks. So where is the growth coming from that um, that these um, agencies are seeing? Newspapers. I'm kidding. I don't, uh, I don't know. I mean, TV certainly slowing. There's no doubt about it. I mean, national probably holding it better than local, but local's clearly slowing. It'll get us some benefit from the election. It can't but all be everything's going to TikTok. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't see. I mean, well, maybe there's some I mean, bad data. Or just a lagging indicator. I mean, yeah, did did Verizon or AT and T talk about marketing spend in any way relative to? Well, prior we know quarters? that Verizon um, made an effort last quarter that yielded nothing in terms of gross ads. So it's possible that they spent a bit last quarter, and I don't think that's going to happen going forward. But I mean, economically, AT and T referenced. The customers were paying late, but I think, frankly, it was just kind of a bullshit thing where they were just throwing out there because they had to clean up a mess that they did in terms of guidance of working capital. Because when pressed, they referenced only a few days change in DSOs, which is really not that big of a deal. I mean, it barely shifts that much revenue from quarter to quarter and certainly shouldn't have a $2 billion impact (laughs) to your year. So I think that was just one thing that um, watchers that are very focused on looking for any economic signs zeroed in on, you know, because they're considered like this large company. I just don't. And look, Verizon 
did not validate that as a similar issue today. Um, and I haven't seen what could happen in the second half of the year, which is that customers, rather than just paying late, shift down to lower rate plans or even to shift to prepaid, which are probably bigger or shift to cable, which might be priced on a on a, on a cheaper just, basis. Just shift to something cheaper, oh. period. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know. There's no, to me, there's no tangible signs on the consumer um, spend side of things. And obviously anecdotally, we see what's happening in travel and what have you. So advertising is different, right? Companies, they're fearing what's happening in the future. And that's an easy button to just fucking flip off. Yeah. Well, they, they, like, they usually cut their, they, they cut marketing spend as soon as they, as soon as they see top line slow and any sign of top line slowing, it's the easiest thing to cut. Sure, but I don't. I don't think the top line slowing in wireless for the companies that have reported is is a function of what's going on with the economy. It's you know you had to a certain extent some level of pull forward um, in types of usage. So I don't you know I don't think there's I don't think this is at least in our land this is not economic. It's just it's a function of where we are in the industry. <laughs> so it just is what it is. Like anyone that expected postpaid phone net ads which are typically five or six million a year to sustain at nine it's just like what are you talking about this is a trend line business like why do you think that that's going to be sustained it's not economic fun of somebody from an absurd prediction for next year recently i I wish i remember which broker it was but but it was amazing going going to the verizon quarter the consensus net ad estimate was nine hundred thousand. maybe that came down a little bit you know with 800 you know how many guess how many subs they've done quarter to date? Negative thirty-two, Rich. So negative thirty-two thousand. Correct. So they're gonna they have a lot of a lot of wood to chop in the second half. Anyway, my point is this is not I can't give you inputs. Um yes, Joe, I know half first half to date. <laughs> did I not say that? You did for our you podcast listeners. Date. You said quarter to date, I think, but it's Dude, the same. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, did that change same the point? Thing. It's the did exact that change same the point. Thing. Yes. Uh, Jesus. Okay. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Okay. Sorry to divert. I don't look. I don't. I'm not saying that we're not having economic weakness, right? If we have inflation, you have people. Clearly, people are getting fired at a lot of different companies. Like it feels like employment is still really. I, I get it. A hundred percent. That's all true, and it's and it's probably inevitable. However. Like we have to be academically honest. Like, what are the tangible signs today in the consumer-facing businesses? And I don't like. That's why people were going fucking bananas about the AT and T comment because, like, oh yeah, we have data point. Like, I just think the AT and T was using that as a way to kind of clean up their their free cash flow guys. I don't think T Mobile is going to affirm what AT and T said, just like a just like Verizon didn't either. Thank you. Next. Well, we'll know a lot more next week. How much of this? economy thing do you think is becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy right where you hear where it's like you hear it in whatever thing you're consuming so much like oh maybe i should spend less yeah like maybe i should cut back on advertising even though like my sales are okay you know what looked terrible was those fios tv numbers rich i'm surprised you weren't going bananas about that People are just leaving that bundle altogether. Forget about like whether they're switching to MVPDs well, or I mean, virtual MVPDs. Altice now then? Well, yes. I mean, Fios, Fios is Altice's competition. Yeah, that's that's good. Audible, cable, good cable point. Audible. Markets, so what right? happens when you don't have growth? 
you look for structural things to do in your business. Like I, to me, that's like the next step in, in telco. Like, what can you buy? They can't fucking buy media, right? That's been a disaster. In the case of, of Altice, they had, you know, smashed together the New York properties with these Suddenlink properties. Very different dynamics because in New York, you're going up against primarily Fios, who already has fiber and relatively happy customers. And you're trying to build better fiber. Higher RP, though. Higher ARP, sure. You can lift up the ARP. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But if if I already have fiber, it's not like it's not like it's not like building fiber on top of a broadband or excuse me, a cable market where yeah, you can maybe command higher. You're you're going up against another fiber guy. Like it's like no, you're playing defense. That has always been the most competitive market. I mean, you know who should own. That New York could, market could we, is hold on. No, no, we could, could we read, get in there, we read Rich. the tweet. I'm gonna get okay. there. We're gonna get there, okay. Rich. Be patient. I'm gonna calm down. What's even the point of, of reading the tweet at this point? Just be, be patient, Rich. The what who should buy potentially Altice the New York is maybe T Mobile. Like, you know, you're Ooh. you're because Verizon can't buy that shit. Um, AT&T, maybe they could, maybe Whoa. they could. Oh, why? Hold, hold, on. Why, hold on, why not? Vertical charter? integration. Vertical integration in one market where there's well, you're not going to get national oh. I, like that. That excuse is so tired. Yeah, but the whole like, footprint is small in that market. Sure, that's fine. So that you do one here, like at some point, if you're going to have vertical integration, you're never going to have fucking national. So that means you don't do it. You don't do vertical integration. No, no, no. Walt, I'm not necessarily arguing against vertical integration, but if management is going to take on a project like that. Why start in a market or first of all, why buy an asset that has what else are you gonna do? not a ton of subscribers sure. and start in a market that is already largely overbuilt? Yeah, maybe. That's my argument. I'm not arguing against vertical integration. Price. I mean, price and vertical integration. Like if you look at if you look at Altice's enterprise value and you look at what they think that they can sell Suddenlink for. <laughs> like what's left well, over I mean, it, for that well, business? EV is EV is thirty billion. They said at least in the the, the rags are saying twenty billion for Suddenlink, which seems high. But again, there are a lot of synergies if you were to merge it with a company like Charter. There's a lot of footprint overlap that I'm sure you could clean up over a period of time. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, everyone has always thought Altice ultimately sells to Charter, and it was always a multiple imbalance that sort of stopped that from happening. Yeah, I mean, and and I guess Charter need some nols because now they're gonna have to pay the tax man if they don't do something structural so maybe that's uh, makes it available to them i don't know also charter charter needs to find growth right i mean your whole point on finding growth for telcos if you're thinking about charter well, look growth i'm slow, throwing right? shit against the wall clearly you know none of this stuff is great but the point is like when you have two industries but you know which are one connectivity and they're they both have growth issues like this is like like you look for structural things to do and obviously sure. altice is the I guess the first to kind of at least float something in that regard. Yeah. I mean, it makes you also think like, you know, I mean, I know it's a private company, but Cox is sitting out there still. I mean, there's still a bunch of companies that are, you know, I mean, even Mediacom, which is private, like you wonder whether, you know, is there another round of consolidation just as cable slows from a growth standpoint, do they look for ways, essentially synergies to manufacture growth? I don't know. I'm not saying right. it's a so, great answer. Right. You're, you're, you're horizontal or vertical. And again, in, in my land on the vertical side, 
the media stuff has been a disaster, right? But like, so what are the other vertical uh, things you, to you, do? You, 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 you can be honest. Our sector has not helped yours at all. It is not at all. I mean, I that's mean, the assessment at this, at this point, right? The, the, like that was the marketing differentiation that was happening for the industry. But the problem with that industry is there's only so much TAM and that TAM had already been filled. So it, you're just basically ping-ponging subscribers at, at yeah. that point by trying to have a better media offering than the than the other. The funniest question when John Stanky was to lose. Sorry. The funniest question when AT&T CEO John Stanky was interviewed by Andrew Ross Sorkin in on CNBC was hey you punted Warner. Was that because you saw what a disaster he was going to be? Which is basically his question. Unfortunately, Stanky is very well media trained and basically did not answer it. And oh, we still uh-huh. have you know, there's value that we can bring to our customers. Yada yada yada. <laughs> but Sorkin was like, and by the way, Rich, I'll I'll, I'll give you a little um, jab on this one. When we were looking at T on a combined basis, you're like, oh, I never thought Warner standalone could get below. I forget what the number was, and we're well well below that. <laughs> I, I I'll be honest. I never. I mean, it, it is. It's actually incredible what both companies are trading at. Rel, you know, if you think about, it, if you put the sausage back together, it, it's pretty incredible where the valuation has come to. And I, look, I think when Discovery reports, I wouldn't be surprised to see them really blame AT and T for all of the troubles that that Warner WBD is clearly having. I mean, everyone else blames AT and T, so why not just jump on Correct. board? Like it's always it's always AT. Well, it's very convenient considering they just got the asset to be like, oh, this was in terrible shape, and we're cleaning it up. Right. <laughs> Numbers are going up in four years for sure. Right. Unfortunately, AT- our new target. <laughs> Unfortunately, AT and T should have done the thing when they same thing when they spun that out and then just kitchen sink that shit earlier this year. Rather than fucking trying to paste together a bullshit free cash flow number that <laughs> anyone that half a brain knew that they could not execute on, except for the the handful of sell side analysts that are, you know, taking their numbers down did, today. Did anyone ask Stanky about marketing HBO Max? Because there's a lot of sort of there's a lot of speculation that they're going to start aggressively marketing HBO Max again because of their contract with Warner Brothers. Um, if they did, I probably missed it because I was busy Bloomberging clients feverishly about all the other shit that was going on in the quarter. Okay, well, uh, we should revisit that, but it's it's an interesting topic because they Rich, the concept. I the concept which we talked about many times on our 115 podcast of wireless <laughs> operators trying to get people to upgrade the rate plan seems a little weak to to argue that when we're going to possible economic weakness, which we were just talking about. As a matter of fact, Rich, on the call that I just got off, Verizon CEO Hans Vesberg was was saying like, oh, yes, we're having great success in like moving customers to higher rate plans. And he cites this thing called ARPA. ARPA is is the average revenue per account, not user. I looked at ARPA. It hasn't fucking moved in three quarters. (laughs) <laughs> By the way, you know what else goes in ARPA? Fixed wireless. So you're getting the, the tailwind of fixed wireless. Your ARPA hasn't moved, and you're telling people that somehow you're getting customers to upgrade to higher rate plans? Hashtag math. No, you you know, that's not happening. It is not happening. And like, I don't, you know, to getting back to your point, like, can AT&T try and market HBO Max to get people to higher rate plans? 
I guess I don't. I doubt that it's going to be successful. The, the telcos have one thing to do at this point: raise your fucking price. Just raise price. You didn't see churn when you did it. Raise it again. More customers. Just increase price. Thank you. Telco ran uh, over. D- David Pierce has a tweet. Facebook is TikTok now, which is Instagram now, which is which is Facebook now, which is TikTok now, which is Instagram now, which is Facebook now, which is TikTok now. And he's obviously making fun. But I, I thought this was important because your Facebook feed David Pierce is, is now going to. Um, I don't even understand what this says. Basically, the point of this is, is that your Facebook feed is yeah. going to look like Instagram oh, because no, Instagram started to look like TikTok. So the point is, no, I, I understand you that. Got- and, and also, if you want to take it to the second level, right? TikTok in terms of dominance, right? TikTok is becoming what uh, Instagram was, which was what Facebook was, yeah, right? So it's kind of a double. It is. And so, but the main point I wanted to make, because I think you picked up on this before anyone else, Brandon, is sort of moving away from a friend-based graph. Yeah, and that's what, yeah. and for Facebook to move away from a friend-based graph, it was one thing for Instagram, but for Facebook, which was built on friends, like it was yeah. literally all of it's, your it's friends. A, it's a hybrid though, Rich, is really what it is, right? Because your friend graph is still there, but they're very much integrating your interest graph. And I'll call it, how about this? Your entertainment graph. Let's coin a brand. I like that. I like that. The things that you like to kill time with, as opposed to the things you're actually interested in. So stupid videos, whatever. I don't. It reminds me of Mark Cuban. How, you know, TV was the cure for boredom. This, these are the cure. These entertainments are this entertainment graph is your cure for boredom. Yeah, as opposed to the things that you're deeply interested in. Um. So that's, and that's much more algorithmically driven, probably because based on what you engage with. So that's what TikTok kind of brought to the forefront. They didn't need any like true interest signals. They basically saw what type of stupid videos you actually engage with and start showing you those to supplement your interest graph. It is just it's it's incredible. And just to see how much TikTok is driving the strategy of of everyone these days in, in mobile media, like they're all literally just this juggernaut, which, you know, look, the, the real question, I guess, going back, they're going to have to evolve, the- too, though. I think Walt has, you know, very, been very vocal about this. I mean, they're the flavor of the month right now. Instagram used to be the flavor of the month. Before that, again, Facebook was the favor, flavor of the month. There's going to be additional innovations in the way people consume content. And all of these platforms are going to wind up chasing whoever the innovator is. I don't know if it'll be an innovator or someone who's lucky to come across. Right. That's, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not sure it's innovation. It's just, I don't know that, what it is. Right. It's just, it's just different. I mean, like you have like, to uh, give, you have to give them credit though, for their algorithmic approach, which was innovation. Everything runs its course. Of course. Absolutely. And there will be something else. I mean, you know, part of it, it could be 3d interactive. It could be, uh, a stupid type of, you know, video or audio thing. Who the hell even knows what it's going to be, but there will be a next. Oh, step. I got it. Wait, I got it. I know what, it. What? I got what it. it. What is it? What is it? it? It's the metaverse. 
Okay. Let's. I can't even. All right. Is that Max? Uh, Alex Kantrovitz. I think he's from Bloomberg. Um, He said interest in quote metaverse over time. And he's got a graph that basically is up and then down. But we we light shed people know this. this. Google you, trends for those who are. Thank you. Google trends. Platform. Thanks. That was important to, to point out. Um, so people know this already because you have light shed trends from the earnings scorecard that also showed this reduction. For me, Rich, you know I'm a big podcast listener. Oh, um, I know. And sometimes I get behind because you know if if Angelo Cataldi, podcast listener. if, if uh, hashtag Angelo Cataldi of from Odyssey. <laughs> Is is in on Philadelphia is off of vacation, and I get backed up because I got to listen to the Eagle. And by the way, Eagle like training camp starting soon, so I was worried. And I got the Economist, and I've got Kara Swisher, and uh, but this week, Rich, I was able to catch up. You know why? Because Matt Ball was showing up as being interviewed by like every single person in my podcast. So I'm like, I don't need to listen to Matt Ball 15 times. And well, the Murders is so I was able to save some time. And listening to the metaverse on the podcast this week. So the okay. metaverse. This is the metaverse is the future. Can, all right. <laughs> Can I say a few things? <laughs> One is I'm shocked that now that Matt Ball is on his metaverse book tour, that Google Trends didn't just explode <laughs> um, <laughs> in response. <laughs> wait a minute bring that chart back up bring that chart back up Maybe uh, it did. hold on number two i think uh, hold on. i think metaverse and, itself which we talked about so many times was no, there's a, a little there's tick a up slight there. there's, there's a slight there's a line there's a slight tick up it's off i don't line. know i need a, a fucking tick. magnifying glass to see that tick up <laughs> there is a very very slight tick up uh Still, Metaverse on Google Trends is way higher than it was a couple of years ago. Um, and I think it's a good thing that, honestly, that this sort of buzzwordy thing about it has gone away because nobody actually academically understood what the Metaverse was. You and they read just, the book. You obviously haven't read the book. The then you would academically know what the Metaverse is if you just read the book. But... To like kind of like shit on the idea of this sort of extension of the internet where 3D interactive experiences are not going to become easier and things like AR and VR won't find a use case for part of the time and people will not be interacting in, you know, many, many thousand person, if not million person. At, on um, instances, that's, I mean, technology is going to allow for it. So use cases will evolve too. What I mean, that's, what, I just but that's what they said this about is the last 3D. 30 days. That's what they last said about 30 days blown up. That's what they said about 3D glasses. And you're right, Brandon. I can still go to the movie theater no, and watch dude. a 3D movie, but I don't. I have a TV that does 3D and never use it ever. But th- think about that. I think that the two, the evolution of the internet has gone from like like text right to when it started to static images to video and it will be much more immersive video that will be added to that because technology will allow for that whatever you want to call that 
you can, but the internet is not going to just stay being what it is. And wow. as I think I, I, I think I need some weed for you to say but, that again, like just, just like the internet's not going to stay like, of course, but we don't know what it's going to be. It's going to continue to evolve. So what is it evolving towards? If you want to call it metaverse, you could call it whatever the fuck buzzword you want, but there's going to be a point where all of us can interact or many of us within the same instance with a lot of presence attached to it. Sort of like what we're doing right now. (laughs) We're interacting with presence live. There's only three of us on here. I know, but I'm just, I was just fucking with you. That's all. I was just (laughs) fucking with you. Because what you just described is exactly what we were just doing. But that's all. Um, it actually isn't if you want to like explain explain why how how is it different i see you live in front of me and you're in it we're all in different places and we all are live we all have presence yes three of us do okay what what is the capacity of the amount of people that could be in the same instance currently right now i think it's 64 I mean, you can have an infinite, but on the screen, you can get 64 boxes. not infinite. It is not. Uh, okay, we're going to move on because I'm going to get upset. Yeah, um, you're done. This is, you, I'm just going to laugh. I mean, no, you okay. just think okay. that the world You is just good. don't understand. You just no, don't understand. Not that you don't under, I'm not saying you don't understand, but what I'm <laughs> saying is there's technology continues to evolve and that allows yes. for new experiences. Whatever That's you want true. to call them experiences you can i don't give a shit if it's metaverse or we're like building towards metaverse i've always used the building blocks of metaverse but it's just evolution (laughs) let's bring up our podcast favorite reporter not from cnet alex sherman uh netflix verifies that the microsoft deal is exclusive all ads will be sold by Microsoft. This was this came out of their earnings interview earlier this week. But what was really interesting, far even more so than Netflix earnings, was they published that you know, this Nielsen chart, which um, came out a couple of days later, uh, that the share of of viewing for Netflix was actually up pretty meaningfully. One of the biggest increases we've seen in Nielsen tracking them, it, it puts a piece that we put out a few weeks ago on Comscore showing that Netflix had actually strengthened meaningfully March over March. So a 2022 March versus 2021. But the, the end result of all of this is, is that Netflix represents somewhere around 30% of connected TV time spent. Um, they dwarf everybody. And so that's the huge Microsoft advertising opportunity. Did we talk about this uh, last week? This seems well, like we talked about. Well, we did, but we didn't talk about sort of the. We now know it's an exclusive deal, so this is all okay. Microsoft. There is every ad has to be sold by Microsoft, so that's the new information. And then the Nielsen chart coming out, just showing how big Netflix was, was the other piece of it, and it just sort of speaks to why this opportunity is so large. And so, I think that's why the stock is up. You know, it's just that people are getting excited that advertising is probably going to start in Q4. And the size of this, you know, it's, I don't know if it's up today, but it was up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's gonna be... <laughs> I, sh- I, sh- I knew you were, I knew when you looked across, I, I could tell by your head fake, it's down a dollar, but, uh, you know. Well, technically it's down yeah, yeah, technically. about 63%, but that I digress. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Next, Walt is, Walt is enjoying the villain role today. 
Uh, poor media. Well, I feel bad. This is going to make Walt happy. Media, this is Walt. Poor everything. <laughs> poor everything. Poor That's true. That's poor true. Consumer, uh, ha, ha, poor retail. How about poor? How about poor consumer ticket buyers? Oh God! No, this, right. is be- this is the best. I'm going to let Walt. No, no, yeah, this, this is, is all the Walt. Be- this is the best slide that we have this week. Bruce Springsteen fans boil at ticket prices going as high as four to five thousand due to Ticketmaster's dynamic pricing. So those those weren't even front floor. <laughs> those were like I saw this. I saw like the threads on this. Those were like mid floor tickets. For those that are. Long-time podcast listeners and also Light Shed Live listeners, you know that this was a topic that I pressed heavily on uh, with Mike Rapino um, about like why you just don't get ticket prices up. And I think one of the pushbacks he gave at the time was like that you know these people didn't want to upset their fans, yada yada yada. So I guess the boss doesn't care about upsetting his fans. But well done, those tickets you can you can cry on Twitter and. And all these different magazines, but guess what? Those those seats are going to get sold. Pay what the market demands. Wasn't Bruce Brandon one of the most? He always had like like the cheapest seats, and he was sort of so against this whole thing. Uh, I, mean, I thought his, he was. His seats haven't been cheap for that long. I don't think like to the level of like you know what Pearl Jam and the Dead and Fish and sort of like those much more community based bands which what is a, what does a fish ticket cost what is a what is what is a fish ticket cost no, for the floor so, today so fish has done the exact same thing they've gone heavily into platinum pricing this past tour it kind of evolved into that over the last couple of tours but lawn seats for these outdoor shows have come way down in price to make getting in much more accessible I think they're like 50 bucks to get into the show. But if you want good seats, a lot of it um, is demand-based pricing and tickets have gone up substantially. Isn't this a very positive signal for Live Nation? Of course, it's a good signal for Live Nation. And they're clawing back share from presumably from the scalpers and giving them less incentive to use bots, which overall is artist-friendly versus scumbag friendly now that's exactly and that's the argument i made to rapino which is like those course. tickets are going to go for that price anyway so like what the fans are going to be pissed off yeah. that the artist actually gets the money as opposed to some scalper no i mean I, the thing is and and this is the problem i don't really know how to solve is that you do want the chance for fans that aren't rich to be able to see um, uh, you know what? So, Let them watch it in the metaverse. So, Set from, the metaverse up. They can. They have all so, this presence oh, and all this technology. Someone earlier, I think, was just talking about. They it can all, all watch together. They can watch the together. Technological advancements of the internet. I think the best way to solve that issue is to do, which is what I, I hate to say it, Fish does this, is to take um, a certain amount of tickets and use quote slower ticketing. Um, through a very, very verified lotto process in order to give every fan a chance to get like kind of the um, the good seats. But, but, you, but you can be a verified is, buyer of the ticket, but what, what stops you yeah, then from you selling still, that? Right. So then the question is, should you have the right then to also sell that ticket? And so the way Pearl Jam did it, going back a couple of years for the tour that's actually now finally taking place is they made it so that if you wanted to sell your ticket, 
you had to sell it through their exchange for face value. That's another um, kind of way to handle this. These are not easy issues, though, and balancing sort of fandom I mean, I don't and see how it's that egalitarian ideal with, you know, putting the dollars in the right person's pocket, which is the artist, is a tough nut to crack. It doesn't seem to me like it should be a complex issue because you have the threat of physical violence these days. And should you be, well, let me finish my sentence. You should, you should be able to verify every single person that goes into an event where there's thousands of people sitting there. So like you're telling me that technology doesn't exist to make sure that every single person is ID verifying that's going to, into a concert like no totally. i don't think it should be as hard i don't i don't see why it's hard like if they there, really wanted to do it they there's could another complication to it okay if you buy tickets to a show that's occurring in i don't know 16 or 18 months or even a year what if you can't go to that show yeah. shouldn't you be able to sell that ticket sure. right so you need right but then you just have it go through their exchange. exchanges right. which sure. is Similar to what they built for Pearl Jam. No, no, I I agree with you. I'm just saying that the technology on that, I don't see how that's complex. You just have your own exchange where you go from one verified buyer to the next. It's not that hard. Now that you're now that you're in the venture business, you know that things are technologically a lot more complex than they seem to us intellectually. Oh, yeah, why don't they just do it? Why don't they just change everything right. immediately? Why don't they just build the technology? They should do it. Wow. <laughs> Speaking of companies that are very slow to build technology that you would think is snap your fingers. Well, some technology they build fast. It just happens sometimes. This technology they didn't build fast. So, so we've got a tweet from Discussing Film. Amazon's finally redesigned the Prime Video user interface. Now, I think Prime Video must have launched eight years ago. I don't even know how many years ago, maybe even nine years ago. And they've literally had the worst interface, something that's been embarrassing. Um, and finally, we have an updated user interface. If you're watching this, you can take a look at it. But if you go to Prime Video, it now looks like it's sort of a cross between the Netflix grids and the circles and structure of Apple TV+. Plus. But no matter what it's based on, it actually looks like a modern day user interface that's sort of content first and just looks good relative to what we had before, which was just horrible for Amazon Prime uh, Video. So. Finally, they don't have the worst interface. It was funny when I tweeted out about this, the, the resounding response was, now when does Hulu fix theirs? Because Hulu's still got a terrible user interface that's hard to find content. But at least at least, it finally happened. Uh, By the Amazon. way, has anyone used this new interface? I clicked around. It just reminds me of, of first of all, we can all agree that Netflix technology is like, leaps and bounds beyond most but and, and this is i remember a topic from many many episodes ago where we said we were like oh it's like how they present it and discovery and like that's good and then and that really hasn't has that really helped them i mean i guess you could argue that netflix would be even worse than it is um you want me moment. to give you an example of worse sure. roblox roblox has like no real recommendation engine no one actually knows what to do when they go on there yeah. And so they wind up kind of, yeah, they're only reliant on their friends inviting them to something or yeah. doing manual discovery. So, which is not efficient. Yeah. 
you could see the difference when you just take it for granted. How about that? Yeah, no, I, I hear you. So it's just, I guess maybe Netflix would have lost more customers in the past had they not yeah. had the best of that technology. It's, it's hard to know what the control is, but obviously, even I guess the point is, even when you have great technology and very deep content, it's still, it's a hard business. It's a hard business, especially when you have the penetration that you, you do in UK yep. um, for Netflix. It's like it, in a password sharing environment, there's really nowhere else to go in terms of adding subs without you know, making the type of adjustments that they're making. Speaking of companies with penetration issues, um, it, we have Disney Plus, which has sort of been stuck in the low 40s million subscribers in the US. And Matt Baloney had breaking news the other day. There it is, R-rated Deadpool and Logan headed to Disney Plus with this very subtle disclaimer, quote, subscribers are invited to revisit their parental control settings to ensure a family viewing experience most suitable for them and their entire family. Thank you, Disney. Let my Here's my suggestion to our listeners. <laughs> Don't change your settings because I don't know. Somehow, every time I go to Disney Plus, I had to put some code in, and it drives me bananas. And I can't figure out how to turn it off. So don't mess with your settings if you don't have to put that code in. Thank you. What's the next tweet? I will just well, say this as a reaction yeah. to Matt Baloney's tweet: It's all happening, <laughs> right? I mean, well, what's are, all happening? They are transforming Disney oh, Plus. Of course. That I mean, that's it, and and that you know, drives home towards the Hulu, the sort of internal competition, cannibalization Hulu issue that Rich has spoken about ad nauseum. But but I want to contrast something. So the second tweet on the slide, I put this back on one slide because I actually think these are actually are related. So Carl Cantania, CNBC says, according to several Disney sources and others familiar with Iger's thinking, the executive spent 2020 and 2021 Regret the executive spent 2020 and 2021 regretting what he has called one of his worst business decisions, the selection of Bob Chapek. And I wonder, remember when Disney Plus launched, they actually had the movie Splash, where they actually had to digitally alter Daryl Hannah's ass to make it look covered because they literally, this has actually happened. They literally digitally covered her ass literally. in the movie Splash because they considered that too risque for Disney Plus. They put Deadpool onto Hulu. They put Logan onto Hulu. And I just, part of me is wondering whether part of this hatred between the two executives is because Chapik is just has an entirely different view of the Disney brand itself and what it's capable of. And Iger was so protective of that brand as being family friendly and sort of different. I, I don't know if that's what the dispute is over. I, 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 don't, it, I don't get it. I just don't know why. I and mean, with all due respect to Bob Iger, and he was an amazing executive that supplemented Disney in, in a lot of great ways. Like, why don't you just shut the fuck up and move on instead of like kind of bashing the person that you chose to everyone and anyone you can bash them to. Rich and I were in meetings this week and, you know, with partners of Disney and they're like, well, Bob Iger says this, that, and the other thing that Chapik isn't, you know, fit for the role. It's like, dude, you made the decision, move on and hope for the best. It, it's absurd. I mean, it, it is absurd. I've talked to former we'll CEOs. Of, I've talked to former CEOs of Verizon. I've talked to former CEOs of AT&T. I've talked to Ledger. Like no one talks shit about their, the person that just left. 
They just don't. Maybe maybe underlings, but you know, and and some people are frustrated that way. But like, it's crazy. It's bananas. Like, it is. It is. It's unprecedented. It's bananas. I don't even I know. like. It's I it's a bad. It's a, it just, And by the way, it just it reflects badly on him. And it's just that's it. Like I don't think you know. I don't think it reflects. But it makes shape. It, it just. I think it tarnishes his legacy, frankly, for him to talk shit about his his uh, who comes after. Then you just wonder, like, why? Handpicked replacement. Well, then you want. Well, then maybe the question is like, why is he doing this? Maybe there's more about it's not his handpicked, or maybe that is the thing you handpicked him, and why is he so bad? I mean, I don't know. I think it just raises more questions about him. So another part of this whole Disney transformation is they. This is Sports Business Journal. They're jacking the ESPN Plus price. Six ninety nine a month is going to nine ninety nine a month, or a hundred dollars per year starting next month. Uh, that's a pretty crazy increase, Brandon. What do you think is going on? Why are they jacking ESPN? I mean, the obvious thing is percent. They're trying to force you into the triple play because the value of the triple play becomes that much more compelling. And if you're a sports fan that didn't have Disney Plus before, and then you might incrementally watch Disney Plus, perhaps on an ad, you increase the hours and time spent on Disney Plus in an ad supported world, potentially, then that helps them with their ad initiatives. I didn't expect you to say that. I expected you to take more of a Walter Pisic view of the world of, just raise price because you got to make money. No, I mean, I understand that there's like elasticity issues and there's ways to manipulate your numbers and consumer behavior. And I think that this is, you know, more the latter at this point. Do I think that sports fans are more sticky? Yes. I've said this to you and I'm not the best example because I'm not, you know, uh, struggling, um, consumer um but i would pay any amount of money to watch my to watch my teams and to consume information about sports because i love it and i team with you i just think though brandon at the moment at the moment obsessiveness about the things i love yes (laughs) no no i meant you'd spend any amount of money for a fish ticket you'd spend any amount you know like just well i won't spend any money for a fish ticket i've actually had to like kind of work it because I kind of like was getting up on my ceiling given the amount of shows that I see. So I think at the moment we have such prevalent increase in prices everywhere. Yes, there's price elasticity, but like now's your time to test it because maybe it's not as reflexive as it has been historically. It's kind of like companies that had a mix of variable debt when rates were, you know, in 2021 when the 10 year was at whatever it was, one and a half percent, and they didn't lock it in on a fixed basis. Like where, how much lower was it going? Like what, like what, like now's your chance. You take what the defense gives you as we approach football season. And if the defense at the moment is giving you the opportunity to increase price, like why are you not taking? Cause by the way, on the flip side, on your costs, like no one's going to be like being Mr. Nice guy to you when all your fucking input costs go up, whether it's labor or services or products or otherwise. I, I mean, sorry. I just think Look, that's we, bad management. And it, it may also be preparing for NBA costs, which are probably going up yeah, and other yeah. sports rights costs going up. Yes. So it's prepping, no, getting it, also, building the base so that you can keep Rich, raising it higher in the future. ESPN plus is changing. Also, they continue to add 
what I would call more frontline game content to the service. And that obviously will need to get paid for. And over time, you will wake up and it will be you know, priced appropriately to be spun into an over-the-top situation. Not spun as in the financial is spun, but. So we've got a tweet from Shopify saying, breaking my silence in all caps for no reason. Uh, you can now hook up your store to your YouTube channel, which means your fans can discover, browse, and shop where they like, comment, and subscribe, check it out. And this is just interesting because, you know, sort of, especially as the ad market slows, and I think there's fear of sort of YouTube missing numbers or coming in below expectations as sort of just the, you know, we talked about connected TV slowing. How do how do creators make money? You know, if if all of these platforms, maybe other than TikTok, are showing weakening growth, um, you know, Snapchat, et cetera, that we just talked about, how do you make money? And you make money through other ways than advertising. Commerce is the obvious one. So Shopify creating cementing this partnership, good for creators, but I think also points out sort of the underlying challenges that creators are facing right now that the vast majority of them are not doing. It has not been up and to the right the way many creators had hoped. I think you're seeing a lot more stories about creators struggling. And I think this is one way YouTube is looking to address that. I think what's interesting is this is not YouTube trying to do this themselves and make their own stores. This is YouTube working with the leader in Shopify, which I think is very interesting versus trying to recreate the wheel yet again. You're silent. Okay, I'll just move on. <laughs> I, I wowed you on that one. Brandon, why don't you read um, one of your favorite well, I you, You've made a, like, a very pithy reaction to the tweet, and on we move. Yeah, well done, Rich. It was just so tight. It, Walter, I you, it was, Walt, did you think it was tight? I thought it was. I mean, okay, who's reading? Who's reading New York Times? New York Times, Twitter, and Elon Musk will go to trial in October over whether the billionaire must complete his forty-four billion dollar acquisition of the social media company. A Delaware judge ruled on Tuesday. Zero Hedge reacts. Has Musk fired Scadden yet? <laughs> Meanwhile, at the exact same time this was happening, this is where Elon was. Getting hosed down by Ari. Yeah, that's I mean, that's just, Ari? Yes. That is Ari Emanuel. Yes. And how, how old is that guy? Is he like 35? So, uh, this is exactly... Okay, Walt. So I, I don't I got know, a man crush I don't on know. That, okay. no, Bring that picture up I don't know if you remember when that picture of Ari Emanuel came up how, a couple of months ago, and you said that it had to be like an old picture of him. I'm like, no, dude, the guy is in very good shape. For, that's ridiculous. But for look, to be, to be fair, the juxtaposition next to... Elon, um, yes. Elon is anyone's going to look like that, an Adonis next to Elon. That, that's that's a bit Even jolting. Me. But if you... <laughs> uh, Ari is sixty-one years old. Sixty-one years. It's incredible. That's amazing. God bless him. To the guy's he... credit, like I've said, like we've had dinner with him, and he will eat, you know, like eight vegetables. And oh, two... so he's a vegetarian. Yeah, I don't. I can't, I, I can't go through life as a vegetarian. I, I don't Sorry. have the discipline. But honestly, um, to do but what it, about well, 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 there's oh. another there's, there's another component of that as well what about the booze because like it's one thing to become a vegetarian i don't think i could still look like him if i just cut out the meats i'd have to cut out some of the some of the whiskeys as well <laughs> <laughs>
with Jane Happ. What did you, you think? What did you, what, I think he's disciplined. Well, what him. did you think listening to the judge in Delaware? You were listening with all of us. Um, I just thought one of two things is, well, I'm going to cancel out the first thing I was going to say. I was going to say that Elon hired bad lawyers, but I think that's a very good law firm. But it was clear that that guy had nothing to say. He was just dancing. Like I've been to enough court cases to, to understand when a, when a lawyer dances. I found him a bit irritating myself, just his whole... It was a very blasé approach to the court case. Um, and I think this judge, I mean, I've seen a lot of judges. This judge seems like she's like a, she doesn't take fucking shit. Like, so I think yeah. this is, I don't think there's going to be any fear factor on her part at delivering what she needs to, to do it in the right. And it's interesting that a lot of people have been flipping to our side since that hearing in terms of thinking that Twitter's going to get far more than a billion dollars out of this. Um, well, and if you think about it, Twitter Twitter on awful numbers. Snapchat's down 30 plus percent. Twitter's down 1% because I think you're right. Well, yeah. I think it's, an event, it's an event stock now. The whole thing with Twitter is everyone knows it's going substantially lower if they don't you know, get bought by Elon or there's not some massive settlement um, that offsets um, where Twitter still, you know, remains a public company. So that's, you know, that's why it's not down. Obviously, I'm not saying anything anyone doesn't know. Um, but those were pretty fucking awful numbers by Twitter. Well, and I, and I think the reality is that the stock isn't down because I think people's confidence is building in what this could look, you know, what this deal is going to ultimately do, which we keep saying 5420. We'll see. I think a lot of people are starting to talk more about it. So um big we'll fucking mistake by elon is the bottom line oh my god he could have bought this thing for a quarter of the price if he hadn't committed when he did that's there's going to be if, if this closes at 5420 this will be an, an incredible harvard business school case study but i i also hey, think that this is one case that i actually agree with galloway that because i've never been an elon hater i love what they're doing at spacex um like to him not being an esg is crazy given what Tesla has done for the environment, but the guy has hurt his brand and his personal brand and his personal brand does extend to these products. So that was, I mean, it's amazing how much I think damage he's done to, to the brand, you know, in a very short period of time because of this nonsense. Well, it just, it just, it, it looks bad. Like he looks like he's above, he wants to be above the law. And I think that's the, the shame part of this. Like, well, there's so many people that are, that have been above the law um, in our society. So I think we're just, everyone's just kind of sick of it at this point. So we'll see what happens. That's episode 116, everyone. Have a great weekend.